G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. Well, for decades now, schools have been running book clubs. And I was reflecting ahead of the conversation we're going to have today, back in my own school days, and you might remember your own school days as well. I remember taking the Scholastic Book Club catalogue home and asking my parents if we could buy books from the book club. Sometimes I was successful in that, sometimes they said no. And, uh, you know, I was wondered whether it was the cheap books or the expensive books. What would, what ones would my parents prefer I was choosing? Well, the Scholastic Book Club is still around today and is issued to approximately 94% of all primary schools in this country. But it's come to the attention of concerned parents who say the book club is trying to brainwash kids with radical gender ideology. In the latest catalogue, they're promoting a book called George by Alex Gino. Scholastic says it's a real heart warmer. They also say George was born a boy, but she wants to find acceptance as a girl. Well, our special guest today, Kira Lee Smith, has become a spokesperson for the organisation called Binary. Kira Lee Smith, a special welcome back to 2020. Thank you so much, Neil. It's great to be speaking with you. Uh, Kira Lee, not many listeners will be familiar with the organisation Binary Australia. As I understand it, a little bit like a rebranding of the Marriage Alliance. Uh, how do you describe Binary. Well, that's correct, Neil. Marriage Alliance was very uh, engaged and active throughout the campaign leading up to the same-sex marriage uh, laws being instituted in Australia. And throughout that campaign, the, the Coalition for Marriage and the Marriage Alliance and other organisations did spend quite a bit of time uh, discussing and warning Australians that it wouldn't, the effects wouldn't be limited to just marriage that there would be an ongoing effect. And as we have seen, when we degender marriage, we now have to degender many other parts of our society. And this has given liberty to very aggressive activists, uh, radical gender activists, to uh, continue on their path to degender our society in the areas of education, as you've already mentioned, but also the health, military, in business, politics, the law, and the list goes on. So Binary is now an organisation that's been created uh, uh, to, to extend what Marriage Alliance began, I guess you could say. Uh, but our, our sole focus will be on uh, providing awareness, education, and action plans for anyone who's concerned about this radical gender agenda that's um, now being rolled out in our communities. So if you de-gender marriage as what has happened in the marriage debate and then the marriage vote and then the legislation for that, uh, really what follows is that you have to teach children that. And so uh, children really are in the sights of people on the LGBT uh, side of things uh, to, in fact, change their whole idea of what it is to be family. Uh, that's a concern and, uh, you know, that's a concern for parents, isn't it? 
Absolutely. And look, I, I want to say first up as well, Neil, that uh, we have great compassion for anyone, child or adult, who struggles with gender dysphoria or their own gender identity. Identity. We acknowledge that that is a very real issue for people. What we have a problem with is the promotion of radical ideology that wants to impose that sort of thinking on the entire society and to change laws accordingly. So uh, while, you know, there's two separate conversations, I guess, with what you could, you could say. So we're very much concerned with the ideology and the promotion of such to our kids and the indoctrination that we are seeing uh, as evidenced through many, many different areas and facets in our community. Uh, give us some insights into your role these days, Kira Lee. Some of our listeners will remember you as uh, the one who was spearheading uh, the whole uh, idea of what was happening with uh, uh, with uh, halal choices, and uh, you've moved into this role with Binary, and uh, you've been a long-time advocate for family issues. Uh, it fits you very beautifully to be doing what you're doing here now, but give us a little uh, understanding of your role with Binary. Sure, Neil. Yep, as you said, I've, um, I'm still very passionate about all of the issues that I've always been concerned about, but I have this opportunity and I'm working with a fabulous team, a whole organisation, it's not just myself. I'm acting as the spokesperson for Binary and uh, we're a group of people who are very concerned with these issues, as you've already said, and I feel that, uh, you know, I have proven that, uh, I guess activism it sounds like a dirty word in some years, <laughs> but... Uh, where I've taken issues such as halal certification and other family issues in the past, I've been able to reach a, a very wide audience and we've been able to uh, have some success in terms of getting Senate inquiries and uh, supporting politicians who are on board with these concepts and challenging those who are uh, perhaps trying to get away with more than what we think they should get away with. So I'm, again, just stepping into this role uh, with binary. It will be my, my main focus along with homeschooling my beautiful girls at the moment. My son has moved on to work now. And, uh, yeah, so I, I think this is one of the really next big issues that Australia is facing and it's very crucial that uh, culturally, socially and legally that, uh, that we address these issues and we ensure that the debate remains in the public domain and that we're not silenced, we're not intimidated. And, uh, you know, that basically that indoctrination or that, uh, that imposition of an ideology would take hold. Okay, let's talk schools for a little bit. And uh, I know that there might be listeners who are thinking, oh, did Kira Lee just say she's homeschooling her children? I wonder whether that's a uh, something that you're promoting. And I know that homeschooling has been on the rise ever since uh, these sorts of issues began to emerge. But uh, let's talk schools for a moment because I mentioned in my introduction that uh, this catalogue that we're talking about, the Scholastic Book Club catalogue, is in 94% of primary schools in this country. And that means uh, that given that there is, uh, you know, like a 60% state, 40% uh, independent schools, and that in includes all of the Christian schools, that the Christian schools get this particular catalogue as well. Uh, give us uh, your thoughts and insights about the fact that there's a back door here, even into the Christian schools, to get this sort of material into the reading uh, uh, shelves of the library? Yes, well, uh, we know, as you mentioned, the scholastic example with the book uh, called George. Uh, we also have run a campaign recently about a book aimed at three to seven-year-olds or from ages three up. 
called Who Are You? that's in public libraries around Australia. We've been investigating other books that are in both school and public libraries in this country. And it is quite alarming when you actually read some of the material in these books and the fact that both schools and libraries are promoting what I would call you know, a very select ideology. It's not about education. This seems far more about indoctrination. You've got concepts being taught uh, basically that deny science, that your feelings are more important uh, when it comes to how you present yourself and what biological scientific facts would su- suggest. Uh, we're also seeing that, you know, this, this issue, as you said, Christian schools are not immune to uh, this. Um, I, I'm actually aware of several Christian schools that uh, have children who are uh, struggling with gender dysphoria in their schools and so it's also a very big policy issue for those schools in how they're going to uh, love and and care for these children but at the same time uh, not submit to this radical ideology. So these books are suggesting, as I said, don't trust your parents or health care professionals. They don't really know who you are, only you know who you are and both sides of the story are not very well presented. In the libraries we've investigated, there is only one side, this promotion of the radical gender agenda. That's, you know, there's several books uh, that are promoted from ages three right through to the teenage years, but nothing that we can find that counters that argument. Wow. Books that tell you not to trust your parents. And uh, I wonder whether that is, you know, getting under the skin of some parents listening to our conversation today, some especially, well, mothers and fathers who might be concerned about what children are being exposed to in their school, whether it is a state school or a Christian school. When you talk about indoctrination, denial of the science, uh, all about the feelings, not about the facts, what we're talking about here, Kiralee, is this concept of brainwashing. Uh, I wonder whether you've got any thoughts on whether this is really aligned with that idea, brainwashing. Well, I mean, I see it, it we absolutely could use that term, I guess. Um, I see it as, we're seeing this in many areas, as we've already said, whether it comes to um, the halal certification issue, uh, environmental issues, and now these uh, social sort of issues. There is a very strong and loud voice on one side of the argument that tries to insult, intimidate, censor, uh, perhaps what I would call a more reasoned argument, um, and, and Christians in particular are the ones who are seeing this a lot. And so there, there's there's a lot of evidence that, um, particularly with the transgender issue, there is a lot of evidence that this is a social contagion, that the more it's spoken about, promoted in the media, through politicians and in schools, uh, there's a lot of young people who have never had any gender dysphoria whatsoever and is suddenly coming home and saying, I now identify as the opposite sex. You will call me, uh, you know, according to my chosen pronoun and there's nothing you can do about it because health care professionals are being intimidated into, uh, you know, towing the party line, so to speak. Uh, laws are being implemented where, you know, if you misgender someone, if you use the wrong pronoun or, you know, even to the extent now that the Labor Party is promising to outlaw things like conversion therapy, which, um, you know, is a very broad term. Of course, when we say conversion therapy, nobody wants anyone to undergo any sort of invasive, medical, horrendous, you know, treatment that that, that image can bring to mind. But 
we're talking about things like uh, counselling and, and genuine care of, of these young people. Um, it's been proven that 80% of young people with no medical intervention uh, will desist. They will not continue with their gender dysphoria. If they're supported, if they're allowed to, um, yeah, just kids be kids, then there's no problem. But when these medical interventions happen, there's a lot of consequences and um, and unfortunately it doesn't work out well for a lot of those children. Kiralee, we had a request online for an explanation of what binary actually means. I can sure. reflect back into the marriage debate and uh, there were those... Uh, Marxist uh, founders of the Safe Schools program who were yelling all sorts of things and having all sorts of signs at their rallies saying, burn down the binary. Uh, what yeah. is binary? Give us a little explanation, some insight into that for listeners and particularly that listener who uh, left us a note online and said, what does binary actually mean? Very good question. And the answer is quite simple. It means two and in this case, uh, male and female. That's, we say that there are only two genders, there's male and female. Uh, the radical gender ideologists will say, you know, you can be non-binary or gender fluid, or in fact, there's, you know, uh, over a hundred terms that they want to use to label gender, but we say that there are two, and there's male and there's female, and that's what binary means. And of course, as the National Christian Broadcaster at Vision, we would say we would rely on the truth from God's Word, where He has created male and female, and uh, their separate uh, gender identities. And so uh, when we talk about having a Christian position on these things, of course, we're going to recognize the difference between male and female and the idea of male and female being complementary and not in some ways uh, at loggerheads with one another, uh, fighting each other for supremacy. Uh, what are your thoughts on uh, on the complementary nature of male-female, boys and girls? Oh. Absolutely. I, I, uh, uh, binary and my life mission is to celebrate the differences and to celebrate the complementarity of male and female. It's awesome. Um, I get a lot of slack because my Twitter, uh, you know, you get to write a little bit in your profile. I always write, I love being my husband's wife. And uh, I really do. Uh, there's no true statement for me. I love that my husband and I are partners in our marriage, that we bring something very different and unique as male and female, and we want to pass that on to our children. So there's, you know, there's so many uh, expressions of male and so many expressions of female. I don't think it's limited. Uh, it's interesting because often in the debate, uh, what we find is the radical gender ideologists like to limit male to what we would call some 1950s stereotype of maleness and some 1950s stereotype of femaleness. But we recognise that there are a lot of girls who like to, you know, tinker with trucks and climb trees and shoot guns or whatever it is. And there's a lot of males who are very introspective and, uh, you know, like going out for coffee or whatever we might say the traditional feminine roles are. And we're not saying that you have to be, you know, in this strict, uh, rigid stereotype of male or female but the male that you are the female that you are you, as you just said the bible is very clear you were made in god's image male and female he created them and that's something to celebrate and to express in its fullness visions 2020 with neil johnson a biblical perspective on life culture and current events our special guest this hour is Kira Lee smith she's become the spokesperson for the organization called binary 
Now, you can give us a call, be part of our conversation on 1-800-316-316 or you can leave a note on our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash vision radio. Kiralee, let's talk about some of the developing trends that come from the way that our children are being indoctrinated in schools and from various things like the the Scholastic Book Club and uh, the way that they're being taught in schools. And we're talking here, perhaps not even just state schools, but also those Christian schools. But there's a development in Victoria I'd love to hear your impressions on, and that is uh, some developments around uh, this issue of binary or uh, the idea of gender fluidity in children's sport and uh, little athletics in Victoria. What's happening in Victoria with little athletics? Yeah, well, little athletics Victoria announced towards the end of last year that uh, children could now compete in whichever gender category they identify with or they feel most comfortable in. So uh, girls can participate in the boys' Uh, activities and the uh, boys can and vice versa uh, and the uh, I think he was like the CEO um, you know was saying oh there's not much difference between children at that age and uh, you know we really are going to accommodate uh, these gender disparate children now again as I said I think we do need to be sympathetic but what you're doing there is you are putting particularly girls at a great disadvantage because I went through and looked at all of the national and state results for little athletics and whether it was ages 10, 12, 14 um, and obviously well into adulthood. Boys always outperform the girls. They are stronger. They have a, a much better, you know, much greater muscle mass than girls. They have a greater lung capacity and testosterone, as we all know, does have an effect when it comes to sporting capacity. And so, uh, you know, it's... It, it might sound nice to accommodate someone's feelings, but there are biological scientific facts here at stake. And I just think we need to stand up for our girls who have, you know, for only until recent times, uh, have been disadvantaged by, in many ways in society. And uh, we've fought really hard for that uh, equal but different role. And these girls, you know, they can train hard. They can have dreams of uh, becoming professional athletes. And when... They work really hard and then have a boy who thinks or feels like a girl compete against them and win. That's very discouraging. There's no incentive for participation in those sports. And uh, uh, very recently uh, out of America uh, came quite a few athletes speaking out because a transgender male to female participated in their athletic events. And these teenage girls, uh, you know, were then placed third and lower in their chosen field in athletics because these boys participating as girls took first and second place, which also meant these were the college selections, this was scholarship selection and selections for state teams, so they missed out. So I and you know thousands of other parents around Australia are very concerned about what this means for sport in Australia if we're going to uh, go down that same pathway. Well, burn down the binary, you burn down women's sport. As you say, uh, men are taller, they have longer arms and legs, bigger muscles, higher lung capacity, and that's just because they're male and uh, and females are built a little differently. Uh, there are some that say, Kira Lee, if you just lower the testosterone levels uh, to the same level uh, for females, then uh, that makes it all equal. Uh, but clearly that's that's only a very, very simplistic way of looking at what makes uh, an equal competitor on a sporting field. 
Well, when you actually look into the testosterone levels, O'Neill, um, my understanding of what the IOC, the International Olympic Committee, and other sporting organisations around the world have said, they have to reduce testosterone, but what it actually ends up is it's still 10 times higher than what it naturally occurs in a female. And so they still have the benefit uh, of that testosterone. A lot of the athletes, and, and recently we saw Martina Navratilova, the tennis champion, and even our own... Uh, athletic champion Tamsin Lewis um, and other swimming champions have spoken out to say when boys go through puberty in particular um, and then transition, they still have every single advantage that they've always had as a male. So it's, it's terribly unfair. It discriminates against women. Uh, it's a, as I said, it's, uh, there's no incentive then for women to compete. And in some sports, it's actually very dangerous. Uh, one woman had, was very severely injured by a um, uh, transgender uh, male-to-female competitor in a uh, boxing, I believe it was, and um, the power that he had was obviously could not be matched by this woman, and she ended up with some very serious head injuries as a result. We see it. Uh, the football AFL has weighed into this, and uh, there's been some great concerns in that area where you have contact sports, uh, and you, you, the, the, the transgender male-to-female, it's very easy to tell most of the time that, that they have a very... Uh, unique male physique and they do have the strength and the capacity that the women just po- cannot possibly have. Kira Lee, let's take a call. Angela is on the line from Tamworth in New South Wales. Hello Angela, welcome. Hi, thank you Neil. Um, I concur with the stuff on the athletic things but I wanted to take it back to the books. Um, and this morning you had on Vision Radio they were talking about really good books to read and stuff. Um I, I recognise there's the problem of um, the scholastic um, brochure going to schools, but I'd actually like to see a solution being put forward for um, for this. And I see a really big opportunity for bookstores such as Vision or Kurong or any of the other Christian bookstores to be able to um, put in their own promotional material to, at the very least, private schools, Christian private schools, and be offering those books that obviously the parents that send their kids to those schools would be endorsing. Uh, good thoughts there, Angela. And uh, from the point of view of Vision Christian Store, and uh, just last week uh, I had Wendy Francis in as a guest, and she was talking about two children's books that she's written, one for boys and one for girls, and uh, they're not full of a whole lot of religious uh, jargon, but they are really designed to affirm boys as boys and girls as girls, and uh, I'd be surprised if they're not into our Vision Christian store, but you could check the Vision Christian store to see what other children's materials are there, and I know that they screen those very carefully and uh, are very uh, confident that uh, the sorts of children's materials that are available uh, will be uh, on track uh, to be in line with a biblical foundation for what it is to be a boy and a girl. Uh, Kira Lee, your thoughts uh, just quickly a minute out from news for Angela from Tamworth. Yeah, you took the words right out of my mouth, but uh, part of Binary's campaign, first of all, we have sent about 21,000 emails to libraries. Our supporters have sent those 21,000 emails to libraries highlighting this issue and asking if, if they really, truly are educational and informational services that they would provide the other side of this as well. And I agree there is a great opportunity here to promote and to, to uh, source those books. So that's one of the campaigns that Binary will be undertaking later on in this year. A Facebook comment or two. 
Max says, uh, in agreeing with that uh, that Facebook question, exactly, Kiralee, this damages women. Okay, so damaging for women. Another Facebook comment from Callum, who says, I've got a question. Do you guys hate that gay people can marry? Uh, what are your thoughts on this? Uh, let's just tackle Callum's question here because it comes back to, uh, in some sense, uh, what Christians think about marriage. Uh, what are your thoughts for Callum, who perhaps is asking that question either antagonistically or may well, in fact, have a genuine uh, need to know about Christians and our perception of marriage these days? What are your thoughts this question? Sure. Well, first of all, I would say to Callum and to anyone else who is listening, we don't hate gay people, and we uh, respect and acknowledge that uh, grown, you know, adults can make any choice that they like uh, with who they want to cohabitate with. But what we do have an issue with, or what we firmly believe, is that marriage is between a man and a woman. And now that has the law has changed uh, in Australia, and so. Now what we're concerned with is the, as I said at the, the beginning of the program, that we're concerned with the changes, uh, the ongoing changes and effects because it's not limited to marriage. What it is now about is this degendering of society. It's about promoting an ideology to our children that becomes very uh, explicit and sexualised in many ways that we think is too much, too soon and inappropriate for children. Okay, and uh, and I'd say to Callum too, who poses the question, uh, do you guys hate that gay people can marry? Uh, interesting the way the question is even worded, because you will note that the word hate is in the question. And of course, as mm-hmm. Kira Lee, as you say, of course, we don't hate anybody. Uh, this is not the right. way that Christians actually behave. But what it does indicate about Callum, the question asker, asker and Callum, you might like to clarify it, happy to hear from you, but uh, Callum, who says and uses that word hate, really, this is employing this uh, this tactic, which is all about emotion and not about the facts. And uh, the right. idea of labelling people haters uh, or any of those other names that really came to the fore just over these past few years, uh, just raising that word hate uh, just indicates, doesn't it, that uh, here we are, here's somebody who's just emoting again and not uh, really dealing with the facts here. That's right. And and I think that's what this whole debate is about, is even when it comes to binary, you know, biology, science itself ha- is very consistent and reliable in identifying male and female, but feelings are not measurable, they are inconsistent and they're unreliable. And so uh, this whole debate often falls into this very emotive, uh, passionate uh, argument or that, that that goes down to insults or using that sort of language without addressing the issues. And so my desire as the spokesperson for binary is to bring it back every single time to, well, these are the issues, this is what we need to discuss and these are the consequences we need to be aware of uh, as we move forward in 2019 and beyond to make laws, to make policies, to do all of those sort of things that will have a great effect on our children uh, today and in the future. Our talkback line is open on 1-800-316-316. If you'd like to join in our conversation, uh, let's reflect back to that other Facebook comment I mentioned from Max, uh, agreeing with you, Kiralee, that this damages women. 
now, there's all sorts of things that are going on in a debate in Tasmania right now, and where the rubber hits the road is not just confined to some small areas. Women are under attack here, damage to women on so many different levels. What are your thoughts for the sorts of things that are coming out of the Tasmanian debate? Well, we don't have enough time to discuss all of my thoughts, Neil. <laughs> let's well, let's put a few thoughts out there, and we'll pick up on the main I ones. I will. So yes, look, that Matthew is absolutely correct. That women will suffer greatly, as as will men. So I'm not saying this is all about women, but it is women's services, uh, such as women's shelters. When you have a, a sexually abused or, or a, you know a domestically abused woman who is trying to find a safe place uh, for herself and perhaps her children, and then if you have males who identify as females in those spaces, that could be very traumatic for those women. We've seen, uh, especially overseas, uh, there's a great challenge when it comes to transgenders and prisons, which prison uh, you know, if they're male to female should they go to the female prison or remain in a male prison, uh, one inmate in the UK was a male who identifies as a female was put in a women's prison and raped sexually assaulted for women so uh, that, they're very very serious consequences that we're talking about here and we've already touched on the sporting issue that it will be women again who are the great losers we're hearing stories of uh, women in change rooms or toilets uh, who are being confronted by um, very male-looking people who say, oh, I can use this bathroom because I identify as a woman. But that's very intimidating and, again, quite traumatic for, for women. So the list goes on, but it's very the, the consequences are very real and they need to be seriously considered in this debate. Interesting, isn't it? And I'll get your perception here, uh, Kiralee, that the LGBT lobby and even the mainstream media, whenever they put up examples of uh, this transgender, and I'm talking about uh, uh, the male who appears female here, uh, oftentimes a very effeminate-looking, even feminine-looking uh, physique, uh, uh, lots of makeup, and uh, you know, uh, looking very much a, a, like a female does. Uh, but that's the sort of image. But as you start to describe what happens when you've got that person who is a transgender male in female garb uh, wearing, you know, uh, a wig or uh, a bit of, with a very large frame and perhaps uh, the five o'clock shadow uh, that's there by 10 a.m. in the morning. Uh, these sorts of things can be intimidating for women. I wonder whether, I mean, in, uh, you know, from a woman's perspective, uh, you're reflecting that, but I wonder whether this is being acknowledged uh, that this is an intimidating aspect of what happens with this whole issue. Yeah, well, look, it's very divisive and, you know, there's people on both sides of the debate who will argue passionately their point of view. But I will point out it's very interesting that as an organisation, we do have quite a number of LGBTI uh, identifying people who support our stand and who want to see our campaign succeed because... Uh, you know, they don't want this conflation of sexual preferences or identity along with what biological realities are that we face in our communities. And so um, I think there is just a very small vocal, uh, they call themselves progressive uh, activists, and it, and it is about activism that want to um, 
to really take this to the nth degree. But you would find that the majority of people are not on board with it. Unfortunately, the, the media is very powerful and there are some politicians. And we're seeing that in Tasmania. You have 15 politicians in the upper house and eight of them are basically... Uh, right now, they're going to continue the debate this afternoon in saying that um, we should we shouldn't have sex markers, biological sex markers, on birth certificates and other formal forms of identification. And this is eight people who are refusing to listen to the majority of their constituents and the advice of other people in the community. Okay, taking calls one eight hundred three sixteen three sixteen. Let's hear from Jonathan in Perth in WA. Hello, Jonathan. Welcome along. Yeah. <clears throat> Jonathan, what are your thoughts? Yeah, as I listened to yeah, the last speaker talking about the word hate, you know we have definition of words and we don't use the contact clue of that word. Because if you look in, Gen- uh, in Genesis, God said, I hate Esau. But I, I, choose him, I, I choose Jacob. So in the word, in that definition, me, I'm choosing. It's not a word that we're using hate today. So it will have different meaning. So nobody hates the woman or whatsoever, but we don't choose the passion and desire they have. So Christians can hate their behavior, but they don't hate themselves. So we should use what according to the context rules. Uh, That's why I wanted to say. The second one is uh, gender was destroyed by the enemy, Satan. So if you see gender missed up today, it's not from God. Because if you read Genesis chapter 6, he said the, the sons of God turned to men, women, and married them. It was a fallen angel. So Satan can do anything to destroy gender. So it's not from God. Jonathan, you're making some really powerful points there. And uh, the first one about hate, and then the second one affirming a biblical understanding of gender. And uh, interesting, and it probably is uh, something for a longer conversation on another day about love and hate and uh, justice and grace, uh, those sorts of balances that we might be able to bring into a conversation like that. But uh, a thought, uh, Kira Lee, do you have a response at all for Jonathan? Well, and I, I think I picked up and he was talking about the power of words too and, yeah. and labels, and I think that that's really important uh, in, in this conversation. And uh, I totally agree that it's the biblical foundation that we are male and female, but it, it does, it's much broader than that. It's something that society has functioned on, you know, for millennia. It's something, you know, that both Christians and, and other people have agreed on, that male and female is easily identified. As I said before, it's consistent and reliable. And we don't need to make this an emotive uh, argument about whether it's because you hate someone or love someone. This is purely what are the facts in this situation. Let's remove that emotion out of it. Um, again, let's be compassionate to people who are struggling with these issues. Uh, but, but but getting caught up in, in this uh, the, the language of hate, the language of insults, the language of, of feelings is not going to be a responsible way to move forward in, in solving this as a civil issue for our community. Thank you so much to Jonathan from Perth in WA, one eight hundred three sixteen three sixteen to join in our talkback conversation. Uh, let's take another call. Maureen is on the line from Longford in Tasmania. Hello, Maureen. Welcome. Good morning. How are you doing? Very well. What are your thoughts, Good. Maureen? 
Um, just the article in today's paper, this landmark legislation to better recognise the rights of transgenders is halfway through the Legislative Council with significant changes already made to various state laws. But the amendments so far have been passed to give consent to 16-year-olds for someone to change their name or gender. So mm. they're lowering the age to 16. Um, and one person opposing it, who's a, a Liberal member, she said um, the amendment, because it is only required for a person to identify as that gender without any other requirements. And she said that there were no limits as to how many times a person could change their gender. Mm. So... Maureen, you're making some good points there. Let's get a, a thought or two from Kiralee because there is an incremental change that's happening a little bit by little bit, uh, whittling away the foundations. Kiralee, your thoughts for Maureen? Look, Maureen, there's some great points there and I'll just give a little bit more context as well to this debate so that it has this bill uh, started off as a marriage amendment bill is now into its 20th version and it has more than 50 pages of amendments. And these sort of are some of the amendments and Maureen's uh, addressing those. And it is very alarming to think that 16-year-olds in this country are not allowed to vote, they're not allowed to marry, or, you know, without special court permission, they're not allowed to drink alcohol, uh, they can't uh, drive a car, you know, uh, uh, independently, they're they kind of in their elves. And this is all because uh, we're told that the brain development is not significant enough until we're older than that to make those kind of decisions and to engage in those sort of activities. And yet, here are some Tasmanian politicians saying that a 16-year-old is old enough to change their identity according to how they feel on that particular day, week, month or year, and that they can change it again next year. And this is going to have massive consequences that have not been thoroughly discussed debated or investigated. You even have the Children's Commissioner in Tasmania who has said that this bill needs a review. The Police Commissioner, the uh, Attorney General and the Solicitor General, all of them in Tasmania have said that this bill needs a lot more investigation and a lot more debate and yet eight politicians have decided that won't happen. They're debating it this afternoon in Parliament but without the expert advice and without investigate what all of these consequences will be. And I think it's quite heartbreaking to send that message to children that you can do whatever you want on a particular day regardless of what the scientific facts may state. And Maureen from Longford in Tasmania, thank you so much for your input. 1-800-316-316 to join the conversation. Let's take another call. Shelby is on the line from Queensland. Hi, Shelby. Uh, yeah, good morning, Neil. Kiralee. Uh, Truly, I'm just uh, curious to know just how strong the legal argument is on um, versus the rhetoric of uh, emotional, um, you know, rhetoric. Look, I, I know of a transgender in our neighbourhood alone. Now, this guy is half bald. He, he's got a man like a voice, but he dresses totally like a woman and acts like a woman. It's, it is, look, I feel sorry for this guy in his, in his mixed up confusion. But how strong is the legislation and law how can they change when you're born either one or the other, male or female? How strong is our legislation to stop this? Uh, good thoughts in there, Shelby. Uh, your response, Kiralee? Well, each state currently has different laws, so uh, there's quite a broad range when it comes to these sort of identification and then what that means. So you've obviously got criminal law where 
you know, you, you can't assault someone, you can't, um, you know, do a whole lot of things. And that, that all comes under the criminal law. But when it comes to these identity things, that's why all eyes in, in this debate are on Tasmania uh, this week to see what's going to happen because it will have very wide, far-reaching consequences for the whole nation if, if they are able to uh, implement the laws that they want to implement. So um, at the moment, you know, the, the birth certificates, passports, all of those things uh, do rely on biological facts but we're seeing uh, as I said the Labor platform for the federal election uh, they want to challenge those laws and they want to change those laws and not many people are aware of it so the role of binary will be to expose and to shine a light on what these things are in the upcoming election because uh, as we all know once laws are rolled out they're very hard to roll back and uh, we're seeing that again in Tasmania these eight politicians have acknowledged that there's very serious issues that need to be considered with this bill, but they're going to go ahead and try and ram it through anyway and then deal with the consequences later, and that's a very dangerous position for us to be in. Uh, thank you so much to Shelby for your insight. And running out of time now, I did want to get to a very, very important point. And coming back to the books that we're seeing emerge in schools and in school book club catalogues and those sorts of things, uh, Kiralee, uh, the idea that Christian schools are in fact vulnerable here because they not uh, they don't all have really watertight policies on on what's coming into the school. Uh, what are your thoughts right. on on Christian schools and, and this sort of weakness that seems to have emerged? Yeah, well, obviously Christian schools provide an incredible service in our communities. And uh, I am personally aware of several Christian schools where transgender students have tried to take advantage or are trying to take advantage uh, of being in those schools and changing policies. And all of those schools so far have been caught out because they have not got policy written um, specifically relating to how they will handle transgender students, whether it's when it comes to the toilets, sports, school camps, um, and pronouns in those schools. And so those schools have been caught and are trying to make stuff up on the run. Now, um, the argument that is often used by the families of these transgender uh, students and, and, and has a lot of validity is that that student actually feels very welcomed, safe and loved in that Christian environment, which is fantastic because that's exactly what we, we would want. Uh, because as you know, not all students who go to Christian schools are Christian, um, but, but it's a great environment for them to be in. But when it comes to then how is that child pronounced, what toilets are they allowed to use, uh, where will they be accommodated on school camps and the like, these schools are being caught out because they don't have very clear policies. Uh, they will say that, of course, you know, we are, uh, according to Genesis, um, created male and female. Uh, I know one of the schools has said that they will not, uh, they'll accept the student, but they won't change the pronouns, uh, that they will have to use a special individual toilet. Um, but they haven't come up with rigid policy. And I think that in this day and age, that is the next big challenge. And Binary would like to support and come alongside uh, those schools and any organisations that are finding this to be a challenge in their communities. And I will just say, you know, we've already had Tens of thousands of people join our mailing list who have uh, already engaged in some of the campaigns that we've been running. And we feel that we don't have to uh, feel hopeless in this situation. We can offer hope, we can offer solutions, and we can work together to ensure that those people actually feel loved and cared for, but that it is not imposed upon the whole community. 
Well, love your insights, and we will all know, Kiralee Smith, that there is a big battle ahead. And I know that having heard your thoughts on these things today and the way you so expertly articulate these positions, uh, there'll be a lot of listeners who'd be very supportive of you being a spokesperson into this whole issue. And just to clarify, of course, as Christian believers and taking our definitions from the God-revealed source that we call the Bible... The Christian position on gender, it's really quite easily identifiable. You know, God makes uh, male and female. It's consistently reliable. Historically, we've seen that. It's scientifically sound because what we're seeing is an argument that's emotive against that. And we know that the Bible is not going to change. So we have a really sound, solid foundation on which to be able to build a family and uh, just appreciate your insights today Kiralee Smith and let me just ask you about Binary Australia and of course the website binary.org.au some listeners will never have heard of that before and uh, is there a need for support how do you hope that uh, Binary uh, will get some support from uh, Christian believers around the nation is there any particular need right now? Absolutely. We're about to head into, as I said, the federal election and we would really like to be able to identify those politicians that need our support, those who are going to stand firm and defend male and female and celebrate the differences. And we also need help identifying those politicians who uh, want to impose the radical gender agenda onto our community. So we are launching a fundraising campaign where we can uh, have, I hope, a number of impacts in this arena and in this sphere by educating Australians and exposing uh, what the true policies of these major parties are. And, uh, and currently we're also uh, engaging our supporters to... Uh, uh, we've had a petition and emails being sent to the Tasmanian politicians and we've had more than 10,000 signatures on that petition and 28,000 emails sent to those uh, politicians. It's unprecedented. They've never had that much correspondence before. So my hats are off and absolutely congratulations to all our binary supporters so far who are so active and engaged. But this is just the beginning. We have a lot planned for this year, but I need the strength in numbers uh, and obviously financial support so that we can act really uh, engage these politicians in a meaningful and effective way. Well, Kiralee Smith, uh, you are a dynamo and I know you're going to be doing a wonderful job uh, representing these issues uh, to politicians and I might say uh, this is not necessarily partisan here because there are politicians on all sides uh, that have uh, views here that are contrary to our biblical understanding of what it is to be male and female. Uh, Just to point people to binary.org.au uh, Kiralee Smith, wonderful to get your insights. Thanks so much for being with us once again today on 2020. Thank you for having me, Neil. Before you go, thanks for listening. There's lots more great audio on demand, or you can listen to us live at visionradio.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener-supported. Your donation, large or small, will help us continue connecting faith to life for hundreds of thousands of people across Australia and around the world. Learn more or donate today at visionradio.org.au.